Well, good morning and welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it is a joy to be with you guys this morning again. Uh, I don't know what the season has been like for you so far. Uh, if you can tell, I'm, I'm a little bit congested still, so there's definitely some cold things running around, and uh, it can be a little bit chaotic and crazy. But one of the things I love about Advent is it gives us the opportunity, uh, Lord willing, to slow down and take some deep breaths. And some of you out there might be like, it would be really neat to slow down. I just can't. Uh, and I just encourage you during this season, uh, and again, all of our situations are different, but take opportunity to pause. Take opportunity legitimately to take like 10 breaths in a row and on each exhale, thank Jesus. All of our situations are different. I don't know every single one of yours, but I, I know that we are not made to come into Christmas sprinting and exhausted, uh, that there's the opportunity to rest in the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. And so uh, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for this season, and I'm grateful to do it with you guys. Before we get into our message this morning, I, I want to I give a little update on um, some of the really exciting things that are happening here, and, and that's, most of you know this, that's that we have hired a pastor to come on board with us. Uh, is, this is Eric and Karis Anderson. Uh, they'll be joining us starting January. Um, yes, we're really excited. Thank you for the clapping. That's great. At the end of October, uh, Eric and Karis accepted our offer uh, to join us full-time here. His formal title is actually an apprentice staff pastor. Uh, the reason the word apprentice is in there is because we believe that all pastors are, are elders in, in Scripture, and so that term is used synonymously. Uh, and so in order for somebody to be an elder, though, they've got to know their sheep. And so it will take some time. And so the word apprentice there is that he's going to jump in and start doing the verb that pastors often do, but he's going to take the next nine to 12 months uh, to go through an elder development process that will start in May, June time, where Lord willing, we'll be bringing a few other people into our potential elder team as well. But we wanted to just give you a little heads up about who they are. These are their kids. They have some pretty phenomenal names. They've, their kids are Sven, Bjorn, Elsie, and Axel. So uh, very Swedish or Norwegian or Norwegian. That's not a word. <laughs> That's right, we just, we just smush words here. That's kind of what we do. Uh, but we're really excited. Uh, if you happen to miss this Sunday where he came and taught, that's September 22nd. Feel free to go back and listen to the message. But in January, they're coming in in the first month that they're here. They're, they're, we really just want them to be here on Sundays. And so as they come, come engage with them on Sunday mornings and chat with them, get to know them, that sort of thing. And then they're going to really jump into their role uh, come February. And so, uh, additionally, kind of tagged on with that, we let you guys know that we want to, as a church family, uh, we need to continue to grow, um, even on the financial side, of, of reaching $31,000 a month. That's our, that's our target. Um, and our hope was that we would be able to get there even before January. In October, we brought in 22000 it's a little shy of, of our target. Uh, but in November, we brought in 32,000. Uh, so that's really, really exciting. We want to invite you guys to continue to join us as we grow as a church family. We are so thankful for what God is doing here and the new friends that he is bringing in. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we just wanted to give you guys an update. 
with where we are at with that. And if you have any questions regarding Eric and Karis and what's coming up, uh, feel free to reach out to any of our elders. We have a group email that you can shoot out if you have any questions. It's camarilloelders at anthemchurch.org. So with that, we're going to jump into our message this morning, and we are looking at peace. We've looked at joy, we've looked at hope, and today this morning is peace. Now as we talk about these amazing themes, hope, joy, peace, today I feel like it's important that we also make sure we don't all come here. One of the things that I used to not really like about churches, I felt like it was a place where everybody came in and like plastered a smile on the, the, the whole Sunday best thing. Uh, I like the heart behind Sunday Best. I think I'm, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt with Sunday Best. It's like we're just bringing all that we've got to the Lord. But unfortunately, I think what that more than often means is we are going to do our best to present ourselves in a way that makes us more acceptable. That's not what it means to bring our Sunday Best. That's not what we want as we come and we gather on Sunday mornings. We want to come simply as we are with an intention to bring all that we have before Jesus, the good, the bad, the ugly. And Christmas season has a tendency to be uglier than we want it to be sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. It's always a temptation to try and pretend, but there's something around Christmas season in particular within our world that makes that pretending thing feel almost more and more real. And here we are, we taught on hope, we taught on joy, we're teaching on peace this morning. And some of you might be like, yeah, I just don't get it. I don't feel it. I'm not feeling the Christmas cheer. And I just want to bring before you right now and just let you know that if your family situation seems like a train wreck, if your marriage is freaking you out, if your work situation is totally unknown, if debt, loneliness, anxiety seem to be occupying the season, I'm not asking you to pretend or to slap a smile on. I'm inviting you to be. I've been welcoming you to be with us this morning together. Our invitation today is not that we'd pretend, but that we would bring all of that to the table. That we'd bring all of that to the table and say, God, what do you, how do you want to speak into our lives? today. Not our fake life, our real life. So with that, I want to pray for us as we dive in. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We say this often, Romans 12, 1. This is the prayer that we would present our lives to you as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual act of worship. So we present ourselves to you, Lord. We don't pretend we come before you vulnerably and we invite you through your word and Holy Spirit to speak this morning. <laughs> would you give us ears to hear? Jesus, I ask that you would teach through me today. And even as we're speaking right now, what do we do? Just get it. At least I do. I get, I get a sense of your shalom. Your peace reigning. Because it does. It, it exists in your sons and your daughters. Thank you for that, and we're excited for what you have for us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so peace in its most basic sense, like they said on the Bible Project, 
is not being at war. How many of you guys have ever played Risk before? There's far too long of that game where you're not at war technically, but there's an anticipation and it's not for peace, it's for domination. The Ukraine is not weak. With risk, it's all, it, it's all a fake feeling of peace. There's this building up. We're rolling dice. We're placing these pieces. And it takes way, way too long. And some of us take it way, way too seriously. <laughs> but legitimately, the goal is to try and destroy everyone else or die trying. And for many of us, that's a view of how peace is accomplished through war or through doing everything we can to die trying or trying to strategically place things here and there to manipulate, to possibly have power and control over something. And that this is how peace will come. But peace, at least from a biblical perspective, is different than that. It's not about manipulating power or control. Or with this weird anticipation of eventually wiping everything out so that now I can rule everything. Peace, or shalom in Hebrew, or irene in Greek, is to make complete, to bring wholeness, restoration. Josh Walker shared with us about shalom a few weeks ago. And how, highlighted how when peace or shalom is present, f- there is flourishing within humanity. I love that picture of flourishing and connecting that with shalom. It's so important. It's not just the absence of war. It's the place where humanity and God together flourish. Today we're going to follow our pattern that we've set for our series, which is to remember, to anticipate, and celebrate. Again, I just want to encourage you, there's times where there's Acronyms or, or good, like helpful mental reminders. If you, it helps you, think RAC, RAC, remember, anticipate, celebrate. This is great when you're just walking through normal day life. We need to remember who God is. We need to anticipate what God promises and we need to celebrate right where we're at. It's helpful as we walk through life. So we're gonna remember, we're gonna look back And like we've done every week, we're going to start by going back to the garden. We're going to go all the way back. And I'm going to read a bigger chunk of Genesis 1 this morning because I want us to pay attention to what the garden looked like, to what took place during the time before sin entered the world. Genesis 1, 26 through 2, 3, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creation that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth 
and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will, be your, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because of it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then if we were to jump all the way down to Genesis 2.25, I just think it's a good kind of final disclaimer of kind of the, the posture and what things look like in the garden. And that's in Genesis 2.25. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I think we can say that peace was present in the garden. Yes, that there was flourishing, Right? What sort of things accompanied peace in the garden? Let's share for a minute. As, as we read th- through that, what stood out to you? What sort of things accompanied peace in the garden? Abundance. Great. What else? Okay. Closeness and nearness. Great. Purpose. Good. What, wait, what was the second thing he said? Work, yeah. Work existed. It was flourishing. Anything else? I like, simple, I like seeing really basic things like food. I love that food is part of this promise of, of shalom. That food is going to flourish. It's going to be good. Creation itself is going to flourish. You've got relationships that seem to be flourishing. You've got relationship between humanity, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both naked and unashamed in the garden together, and they're flourishing. There's shalom in relationship. On the seventh day, God created what? What happened on the seventh day? He didn't create anything, but what did he institute? Rest. Rest is part of shalom. It's part of peace. Where there's flourishing, there is also rest. But then Genesis 3 comes along and shalom is broken. And how is it broken? It's, it's broken through sin, yes, but sin at its most basic, if we're to boil down sin, people are like, oh, it's pride or oh, it's this. Sin, I think Paul helps us see this in Romans 14. Sin, as we boil it down, is a ceasing of trusting God. It's a lack of belief. I think one of the saddest passages in the Bible is here in Genesis 3. They've just listened to the serpent and been deceived, thinking that God was trying to trick them. Or keep something good from them. So they decided to eat one of the trees that God instructed them specifically not to eat. And we pick up in Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here, shalom is broken. Flourishing ceases for at least a moment. But it's interesting as we look at this, the story of the fall, where does the brokenness seem to exist? Like where do we first see the breaking of shalom? It's in relationship between God and man. One of the, the main ways in which shalom has been designed is to be between God and man. It's the conduit. It is the place where shalom is transferred because God is the one who brings it. We also see that here, one of the, what seems like a regular pattern is that God and man, they walk together. It was a regular pattern. In the cool of the day, he heard the Lord walking through the garden. And because of sin, he hid. So we see that sin, lack of believing and trusting in God, it breaks shalom. And we also learn that we need someone to bring us back into this right relationship with God. Last week we highlighted in Genesis 3.15 that we, we, as soon as this happens, we see the first promise of one who would come, who would bruise, who would crush the head of the serpent and whose heel itself would be bruised. But we see a heart from God that desires his creation, his people to experience his shalom. We've walked through this a few weeks now. That we we see this through establishing God, God establishing His covenant covenant with Abram in Genesis twelve and Genesis fifteen. We see this in Exodus as God rescues His people out of slavery and then provides temporary housing for God's presence as He tabernacles with them in the wilderness. But all of these things are shadows of of really what's necessary. And that's one who would come and truly establish peace between God and man so that flourishing might take place again. <laughs> Our reading this morning from Isaiah 11 highlights one who will come. 11 verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is kind of strange imagery that not most of us are like, oh yeah, I'm very familiar with this. I mean, when you guys think of a stump, what comes to mind? A tree. But what about a tree that used to be, right? <laughs> a tree that once was. Stump, right here. Good, look. Mira. Stumps aren't generally very um, impressive. Sometimes they are, especially if you're trying to get them out. You're like, good night. Like, <laughs> 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 
But to, to your eyes, which, what is visible to you is not very impressive. That tree could have been hundreds of feet tall. And then you cut that thing down and all of a sudden that thing that once was huge and covered shade for everything, it's now cut down to a stump and it looks pathetic, weak, wimpy. And here in Isaiah 11:1, 1, Isaiah is talking about this stump. We've got to understand that the people that Isaiah is talking to, they're in exile. They're trying to figure out, is God who he really said he is? Is God going to be faithful to his promise? And Isaiah basically is letting them know, hey guys, it's going to look bad for a while. <laughs> but guess what? There's this stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. So Isaiah identifies this stump. It's not very impressive. Generally recognize something that's dead. But he's using this imagery to talk about the Messiah, the promised one who will come. And he, and he says this stump of Jesse. Interesting, Jesse isn't really talked about in scripture all that much as far as like what do we know about the person of Jesse. You guys are familiar with, some of you are familiar with Jesse. Why? Because Jesse is who? David's father. What else did Jesse do? Father David, that's about all we know in scripture. And we're told this over and over and over again, but we really don't have a whole lot of background information about Jesse, except for the fact that he is a key player. And now all that I'm bringing about this is we've got this stump and then we've got this guy Jesse. And the only claim to fame that Jesse has is that he's got a son who's amazing and that's David. So we've got this stump and then we've got this name. It's rather unassuming. There's a humility that's even connected to this line. But hundreds of years before Jesus is even born, Isaiah is saying that there is one who will rise up from this stump that seems dead. And in verses 2 through 3 of chapter 11, he tells us what is it gonna, what's he going to look like. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. These are the character traits that will accompany the Messiah. He will delight and the awe and the beauty and the wonder of God. Let's fast forward to Luke 2 for a moment. This is where we get the pronouncement from the angels. And the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, <clears throat> there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Why are all these angels rejoicing? Because Jesus, from the stump of Jesse, the line of David, the promised redeemer who brings great joy and peace, has come. 
And he's come in an interesting way, a humble way. We sing the silly songs, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Yeah. The whole song is, is this picture of humility. Is that this place is not the place that a king should be born. And yet Jesus humbly enters the picture. And is born amongst animals. And then he's got this, it's kind of like David, this simple father named Joseph. And learns a simple trade in many regards, learning how to use his hands and to be a blessing to society. And even John the baptizer, how does John the baptizer refer to Jesus? As the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A a lamb is not very impressive, not very scary, and not very violent. And here it's this Jesus, this one who's been announced, who's, who's ushering in shalom. How? How is he going to do it? Isaiah 53, 5 gives us the beautiful picture. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And it's with his wounds that we are healed. Jesus didn't usher in peace by dominating anyone. Jesus didn't bring peace by inflicting violence on anyone. Jesus comes in from this stump, this rather not very impressive thing, and he humbly comes and he says in John that nobody takes his life, but he himself is the only one that has the authority to lay it down. And Jesus does the opposite of what the kings of this world would do, and he comes and he serves humbly, patiently, completely motivated by love. It's interesting. If we jump back to the creation story for a moment. After Adam and Eve sinned and after God promised that there would be one that comes, God gives them another special gift before they leave the garden. It's kind of a weird one. Anybody remember what it is? You know what he does for them? What was that? He clothes them. He clothes them. He clothes them with animal skin to help protect their bodies from the elements and so that they're, they're, they're still, this is like, this is a seed of shalom so that there could be potential for, for a little bit of flourishing even in the midst of wickedness, wickedness. This is one of the beautiful parts of our God is he always provides a way. Even in our treachery, he provides a way. But as we fast forward all the way to when Jesus goes to the cross, And this imagery now that comes forward throughout the New Testament, people are reclothed once again. But not with clothing that is perishable. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In Ephesians, we're called to put off the old self and to put on the new, like you're putting on a garment. What's happening in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the best and most ridiculous transaction ever. In essence, Jesus is taking our clothes of unrighteousness and they are being put on Jesus as he's nailed to the cross. And the righteousness in which Jesus actually earned and proved as he lived a perfect sinless life was taken off of Jesus and now covers you and I from head to toe. And we are given new clothing that carries the shalom of God. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we are now at peace. Irene, shalom. The creator of heaven and earth. It's important for us to understand that Jesus is not just interested in bringing peace to people's souls. But God is interested in bringing shalom to this entire world. This is important. And we'll look at that as we keep going. And if you want to see kind of what that might look like in your time this week, spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus basically shows us through the Sermon on the Mount what it looks like to be peace carriers. What does it look like for us to do that? Okay. So that's remember. We remember the peace. We remember what Jesus has done. And we anticipate peaceful Shalom, flourishing is coming. It's come in part and it is coming in full. In our passage, in our reading, 11, excuse me, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. The wolf with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant will, I, isn't this like every parent's absolute nightmare? Infant will play near a cobra's den? The young child, it's like legitimately that thing that you wake up in a cold sweat on, like the child's hand going into the hole of a cobra. (laughs) Like, what? No! But they will neither harm nor destroy. Again, if we are to go all the way back to creation, one of the, the, the effects of the curse of the fall is that there would be enmity between the serpent and people. And even this imagery, the young child would put his hand into the... You want to know how great the shalom that is coming? A hand can, like a little child, is actually going to be able to play with a viper and parents aren't going to freak out. (laughs) They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. The beautiful part about this is, is this has come in part. This has started. Jesus right now is the rallying cry of the nations. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This picture that's painted in Isaiah is a picture where predator and prey no longer are operating in a way which one is inferior to the other or feasting off the other, but there is peace and flourishing amongst humanity. Creation 
and God himself. We are not there yet in full, but that day is coming. I want us to look at one more passage in this anticipation section that, I, that was helpful for me as I was studying this week. And I think one that often gets misused quite a lot and gets put on like pillows and things like that. It's Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah 29, 11. We're gonna look at this. Uh, Jeremiah 11, excuse me, 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. I will, excuse me, you will seek after me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a beautiful verse. Most of us lose the context that this is written to a group of people who are in exile and will remain in exile for another 70 years. A group of people who are totally displaced, disheartened. This isn't like, oh, like, like I sure hope things turn around. This is like all hope was lost. This passage is less about you getting what you want or living your best life now and more about God promising of what will one day be true. Do you guys know what the word for welfare is in this passage in Hebrew? Anybody want to take a wild stab at it? Shalom. The word is shalom. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For your shalom. Not for evil. To give you future and a hope. This anticipation, I want us to, God desires shalom for you and promises shalom for you. You may feel like you are in exile now, but shalom is coming. And in that place of shalom, says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. There'll be a closeness. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. And that place is going to be glorious. This is, this is actually alluding to when the resurrection, the last resurrection takes place and where Jesus calls us all back home. Shalom is your future. You will taste it even while in exile, but there is more to come. And it's so important that we anticipate knowing that there's more to come. And it's not just for you, it's for us and it is for this world. So hopefully, so we hopefully and joyfully anticipate God's shalom to cover the face of the earth once again like it did in the garden at the beginning. And we celebrate. We celebrate because we are at peace with God now. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are brought into wholeness with Jesus now. We are 
at peace, shalom with him. We've been restored into right relationship with him. This is huge and we lose sight of this. John 14, 26 and 27, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And this next part is so important. We forget this because we decipher what peace ought to look like. But it's not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus does not offer a cheap peace like this world offers or like the game of risk offers. He gives us a peace that rests on the finished work of Jesus that has begun and will continue to work throughout the ends of the earth. This world will try and offer you cheap substitutes for peace. And it will come up over and over and over again. But Jesus says that he leaves his peace with us. It's interesting in a couple chapters from here, what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to be on Mount of Olives. He's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane weeping and praying and some get really mad when I say this but we I think you understand there is there's almost an anxiety that's brewing up over in Jesus God if there be any other way take this cup from me a few chapters ago Jesus says hey I'm giving you my peace does peace mean that nothing bad will ever happen does peace for Jesus mean that we may not enter hardship does peace mean that everything will be like a white picket fence and a beautiful wife and a 401k or husband or whatever it might be wonderful life whatever this peace we've got to make sure that we don't let our we don't define peace by our terms but that we rest in the peace in which God actually gives us through Jesus This peace he gives us. And it's through his Holy Spirit. And the peace at the most core of, of, of what it can be, that shalom, is first and foremost that we are now at peace, made complete, restored with Yahweh. That we are restored with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 11 through 19 is another beautiful picture of what this looks like. Remember, therefore, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Pretty dismal. You got to love these but now verses. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, our Irene, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostilities by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that. It's theologically sound and helpful in understanding where peace comes from, how we get peace. And it comes from a suffering servant who is willing to lay it all down so that those of us who are far off might experience his peace. You guys, peace changes things. Peace is the culture of the kingdom. It's the DNA. It's what marks the people of God. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. You and I, now we become carriers of that peace. But do we want peace like Jesus gives or do we want peace like this world offers? This peace that Jesus brings is one that is deep to the core but it grows long and wide. <clears throat> this peace is the culture of the kingdom of God. It's a marker by which the people of God are to be known by. We now get to carry that. We've said this many times before. God doesn't do anything to you that he doesn't also want to do through you. God's peace has been brought to you. You get to engage with it. You get to live in it. You get to wrestle with it. But you also get to carry it and share it. God wants to release his peace through you to others. But there are so many things that come in our way that really mess with our minds and our souls and try and rob us of the peace that we truly have with God. This is why I love scripture so much. Philippians 4, we get to see this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand and do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. 
practice these things. You guys, far too often in our lives, we just want things to poof like magically be. We don't, we don't realize that God invites us to actually grow in his peace. To practice knowing, receiving, understanding the peace of God so that we can actually share the peace of God. And you guys, we are so, so many of us, anxiety is like off the charts. We struggle in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. And I'm not here to sit and condemn uh, any of you or me when I struggle with anxiety, but here we get a guide on how to engage with it. We can't just yell. I, I don't know if some of you, I, I've got a few stubborn children. No. I'm stubborn myself. Worship team, come up, by the way. The other day, one of them, who shall remain nameless, was throwing a temper tantrum thingy. And have you ever grabbed a hold of a child who's uh, tempering, tantruming, uh, out of control, and just like, yell, this is, you guys are probably going to think I'm a terrible parent, like grated through your teeth, stop it! Just stop! Stop! I don't do that either. <laughs> but how, how good does it work in the middle of a tantrum to tell your kid, just stop it! Stop now! If you haven't tried it, it doesn't work well. <laughs> and something's very similar. Anxiety is very similar to that. I just want to, and so I, I want to be cautious. So with my kids, what we try and do is when they're not, well, sometimes I don't do that, obviously. But I try and give them tools beforehand. Hey, when we start to lose it, what are some things that we can do to help prevent that? Some of it's take some deep breaths. Just take five deep breaths. Some of us to try and say thank you. Some of us to say like, God, help. God, help, please, just help. But my kids have to play a role in not having a tantrum. Similarly, we play a role in growing and being less anxious. We can't just say stop, just stop, just stop. It's not gonna work. But we can do what Paul says. As ang anxious thoughts come up, we can say, God, I'm so anxious right now. I don't trust you. Would you help and then I can do what he says down at the bottom. I'm going to think about what I know about what the, the pure, the holy, the true, the good things. And God, you say that your peace is going to come, so I'm, just, I'm going to try and trust that that's going to be what happens. But you guys, if we are going to be carriers of peace, we have to practice peace when our hearts feel unrest. And so as we take time to respond now, I want us to just to really, one, say thank you to Jesus for bringing us into peace with him. We're gonna take communion. And as you take communion, would, would you think over Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Would you do that as you take communion this morning? But would you also, as you take that bread and bring it into your body, that juice, and you bring it into your body, remember that as you're doing that, in essence, you are reminding yourselves that you put on the clothes of Christ and you carry that peace and you get to walk out of here as peace carriers for the name and sake of Jesus. We're gonna sing because Jesus is the best. Let's just be honest. 
We are gonna respond through prayer. And if there's things going on in your life or even if there's nothing going on that you think of and you just wanna receive prayer, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If you're here this morning and anxiety plagues your life, I want you to know that you are not highlighted. I wasn't thinking of you this morning. But I do hope and pray that the God of peace will fill your heart and your mind that there is victory. And for I know the plans I have for you to give you shalom, not evil, for a future and a hope where the peace of God doesn't just reign in my soul, but it covers the face of the earth. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for you and the peace that you bring Oh God, there's part of me that is just so convicted with settling for cheap peace that this world provides. When you humbly, graciously, and victoriously provide a peace that is so much better. Would we be people who bring peace like you do through loving, sacrifice, patience, and humility? Would we consider others better than ourselves? And would you stir us to respond now as we sing and worship together? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.